Welcome to the At The Coalface podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. This podcast is all about what it's really like in the trenches of digital and e-commerce. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the pod. It's my pleasure to welcome Shadi Talib from Spiff3D to the podcast. Shadi, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. It's uh, great to be here. Fantastic, mate. I hope I said your surname right. Is it Talib? Did I say that right? Taleb. Yeah, Taleb. Taleb. Okay, I was close. I really try not to butcher people's names, and I try to be respectful of names, but I was somewhat close at least. Well, let, let, while we're there, let's get the, the first name is Shaddy as well. Shaddy. Okay. Not Shaddy. Shaddy. Okay, cool. Well, it is awesome to have you on the podcast. Now, Spiff3D, you know, you, you've you got this, this amazing platform product technology that does uh, specializes in personalization, product personalization. Now, you've, you've got a background as a serial entrepreneur, you know, intelligent media CEO for you know, over five years, chairman duties with, with DScoop, SJT Digital. So you've got this sort of tech entrepreneur background, and obviously you've been doing Spiff 3D for nearly five years now. So tell me kind of how Spiff 3D came about and how you got interested in this whole product personalization technology space. Yeah. Okay. Well, so look, I think it, it, without sort of uh, giving you the, um, the the really long version, it all started when I left my initial career as a, as a stockbroker and um, uh, and had a business idea where I felt like I could add value to small businesses. And, and the idea came from the fact that I had a lot of small business owners that were customers of mine when I was a broker. And I used to hear a lot of their pain points when I would just talk to them in general about their finances. And so the idea came to me to create some sort of, like the, probably the main problem that they had, a lot of those small businesses back then, um, they weren't able to get good pricing because the volume that they had around their purchasing power for supplier-based products. Um, and in particular, I'm talking about the hospitality industry. So like purchasing um, liquor and purchasing paper products and insurance, gas, electricity, and so on, all of their variable costs, they weren't able to get good prices on their own. So I, I basically created an aggregation or became an aggregator and um, signed up about 500 hospitality-based venues and then started negotiating all of these variable costs on behalf of the group as opposed to an individual. And through that, I was able to reduce the cost or, you know, so like to a small business, like a small bar or a small cafe or a small restaurant, I was able to save most of them in excess of 50000 some of them over $100,000 a year. So it was a significant amount of money. And what we did was we just took a percentage of the profits that we, um, sorry, of the, of the savings that we created for customers. I've always liked the idea of being able to add value to the little guy whilst not actually costing them money. That's always been kind of the driving force behind any business that I've created. And then, um, so as, as a result, of that business, one of the areas that we were helping our customers with was in print because before social media, back in I think 2007 or 2008, social media was still sort of starting. People, promoters of clubs and bars and restaurants and hotels used to actually print cards and distribute them um, to people. And those the printing costs associated with that were quite high if you didn't have um, volume behind you. But uh, we negotiated such good rates on that that a lot of our 
customers started printing a lot more. And then the idea came to us as well, hang on, we're doing so much printing here, we may as well become a printer. We got to a point where we were doing so much liquor distribution, we became a liquor distributor. So a lot of the areas that we um, were helping our customers to save money in, we became the supplier. But one in particular in the printing game, we sort of, just, you know, when we were in there, we kind of discovered very quickly that the future of print, whilst we went, when we got into that, was, you know, centered around variable data type printing and paper engineering where you could engage people with you know like sorry sorry you could you could drive people to listen to what you you know the message that you're trying to deliver you cut through all the all of the clutter that you would get you know in the mail and be able to get through to the actual recipient in a in an in an engaging and an, in a relevant way and um, so from that you know the the company intelligent media was created and then that sort of took off and you know but we found that as a manufacturer we had this sort of ceiling above us where you know we couldn't really grow past a certain point because without consistently having to spend lots of money on machinery so i decided to sell off that business you know like as a, as a business as a manufacturing business and we continued with uh, we created spiff as a as an idea where we could create any sort of complex product allow consumers to engage with it and customize and personalize it um, online in a way that it didn't require them to be a professional designer but gave them enough confidence was easy enough so that they could do it and gave them enough confidence around the finished product so that they would order it. And then the idea was to use our skills and understanding of manufacturing to develop automation around the fulfillment process that would allow the cost of production of that particular item to make sense, ultimately, the consumer. And that's how kind of Spiff was born. You know, it was born of the necessity to base, basically make made-to-order profitable. It's, it's taking that idea or that concept and turning it into a piece of software that could be redeployed easily across multiple e-commerce websites and multiple merchants and streamline that entire process of production, that personalized production, in a way based on your experience in the actual manufacturing side of the game. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, customization has always been a loss leading type exercise. It's been more of a branding exercise for a lot of the big brands. And we, you know, we've been involved in some of the biggest customization campaigns in the world, like Share a Coke. We've done work with Mondelez Cabri, you know, um, Nestle with Maltesers and so on, all sorts of different confectionery companies that have always liked to do that sort of, you know, allow customers to put their name on, on their product. But ultimately what it comes down to is for a small merchant, how can we allow them to sell product that's not off the shelf? I mean, we live in a world today where social media gives us the ability. We've, social media has, has, has made us all amazing content creators. You know, the apps and the, you know, the filters and all the things that we can do with different mobile apps that you can buy on your phone these days make us amazing content creators. So why shouldn't we provide consumers with the ability to be able to customize everything that they buy? We're not talking about, you know, like a person putting their head on their milk carton, although that is possible. We're talking about you know, a person being able to say, okay, I like this pillow that you're trying to sell me, but I like the colors on this pillow, but I like the stripes on the other pillow. Geez, I wish that I could have that color with those stripes. Why shouldn't the customer be able to configure that on their own? And the idea is they can. 
the, the hardest thing to get right was in order to make that sort of thing work. And, you know, small merchants can't be, you know, focus on being involved in, in branding exercises. They need to be involved in, you know, so they want to be marketing products that are profitable. So we had to develop a way that made customization not a branding exercise. It made it something that was profitable. In fact, so profitable that it would now be something that they would consider to overtake any form of mass customization or mass production. That's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a you know a progressive shift by merchants in their requirements from their suppliers around the way that products are supplied. A lot of products now are supplied blank, and merchants are finding ways to offer customization. On their platform which gives them the ability to sell a unique product awesome stuff now funnily enough i've actually got a little bit of experience in your space from many many years ago i don't know if you're familiar with a company called identity direct in australia they were acquired by my sale in 2017 but they've been in the personalized gifting space for many many years in australia i think about over 20 years that's that was one of my clients way back in the day many many years ago in an agency i used to work for they were one of my in fact they were my biggest client so i was reasonably brought up to speed pretty quickly because I took a tour of their factory. I took a tour of how they run their software and it integrates from the website into their manufacturing plant on site or their, or their personalization hardware and machinery that does the personalization. And so they take, you know, those, those blanks, if you will, they take various different types of gifts, the pillows and the, and the, and the picture frames and the, and the, the, the Christmas tree ornaments and, and books and magazines and things like that. And obviously there's different levels of personalization that can be applied to those products, whether it be just your name or a message, or, you know, in some cases, a little bit more personalized, like you were saying, where a product is composed of multiple components and you can pick a, a color, a shade, a fabric, you know, all these different things. Right. And so there's different layers or levels, I guess, of personalization that can be applied to a, a, a retail product. And it sounds to me like your platform caters for all those different types and levels of personalization and types and varieties of product. And not only does it cater for connecting both the front end customer experience in terms of what the customer actually sees on the screen when they, you know, let's say they want to personalize it with their name, they type in their name and, and you physically, your software physically shows that name overlaid over that product, for example, or with the combination of components that they've selected, you can actually show them almost like that finished product in the image window, but then it also takes that and turns it into something meaningful for the manufacturing process and in the handoff to manufacturing to make that product. Absolutely. I mean, and look, an identity um, direct is a, is a great example of a, of a, of a successful personalization based business and they don't even have real time personalization. So, you know, it shows you that there is a, you know, definitive de demand for this sort of product. Now where they would be doing well is that their pricing is low. And the only reason their pricing would be low is because they have automated the fulfillment process to a point where um, that, you know, the addition of personalization doesn't actually affect their ability to sell this product at a, at a price that similar to if it wasn't actually personalized. Now you take something like Identity Direct and you add the ability to show the customer in real time exactly what their product's going to look like and give them a few more personalization choices. So, you know, I'm seeing 
uh, like on their site, like, you know, looking at footballs and you can put just a name on there, but you could, you know, like you could do smart things like add the autograph of a particular player and then and our system could then pass off royalties to the person whose signature that you're incorporating into that design. And, you know, so it's got the ability to allow you not just to develop, to, to deliver a real-time, you know, personalization type um, experience, but it also allows you to partner with content creators so that you can offer an even more engaging experience. But then like, you know, someone like an identity direct would have spent a fortune on setting up all of their fulfillment automations. We take that barrier away. So we've what we've done is we've developed a way for, you know, a, a small florist, if they wanted to offer customized greeting cards or customized wrapping paper or sleeves on a particular chocolate box or a candle, personalized candles, they could be doing it out of their florist and the whole thing could be automated to the point where when the customer places an order, a print comes out of a machine and their thing, they take it off, they stick it onto the particular product, they extract the order number from the printed label and they match it up and send it out, print out for delivery, and off it goes. So, wow. And so you are an almost a more complete end-to-end solution. So you've got obviously the software side, but you're saying you actually sell in the hardware, the fulfillment hardware to be able to do that personalization on those products and they are pre-integrated. So your software and the end-to-end experience, te- technology experience and the system integration and the hardware to deliver is all kind of it's a turnkey, more turnkey solution than other solutions that are in the market. Yeah, look, make no mistake, we're not selling we're not selling hardware, but we have very well established relationships with different man- hardware manufacturers that we then incorporate into our sales process. So, if a person wants to sell greeting cards, we you know, we if they don't have a printer that can do the work that we can send the orders to automatically, then we you know, take part of our sales process is then to introduce them to those, you know, a manufacturer of, of, of whatever hardware that's suited and we facilitate that entire process. And because the facilitate, sorry, because the hardware manufacturer understands our software, they are able to install it very quickly with, you know, the SPIF process in mind and then, you know, the customer's up and running pretty quickly. So whilst we don't sell it, we heavily facilitate it. Right. And so, but, but the integration part, you've obviously... The partners that you've selected to work with, you know your technology is going to play nice with their technology. And then also you've done some pre-integrations with some e-commerce platforms and other visualization, product visualization platforms. You've done that pre-integration, and I'm guessing that this is a JavaScript, some sort of JavaScript widget or something like that that gets dropped on the product page or something like that. Walk us through how that technology actually works on an e-commerce website so that, for example, not only does the real-time personalization get visualized for the customer in the in the image window or, or whatever, but also that information around the product modifiers is transmitted through the order object into the fulfillment workflow, and especially in a, in a platform like, uh, you know, a Shopify, for example, which is obviously a SaaS platform that's pretty locked down. I'm guessing that you connect to the Shopify API at that point to modify the order object or perhaps add some 
order notes or something like that transparently transparently behind the scenes that your then your order management software your production management software can pick up and and read and interpret that syntax so that it can then be applied during the manufacturing process so we've got a, a published api a javascript api as you said that uh, and we've built plugins that uh, for all of the major e-commerce platforms whether it be woocommerce shopify big commerce we're not far off magento but we've got a lot of customers that you know integrate with us from magento it, regardless of us having a plugin or not we can you know with our javascript api you can integrate with our system through any e-commerce e e site even non-e-commerce site but basically all you're doing is you're creating a button that will call our api to create a transaction that's a public transaction so it's no different to browsing a product within your website all that happens at that point is that we open an iframe within the site that iframe can either be you know displayed as a pop-up or in, embedded in the page the merchant has complete control over the way that we display and how we display out of the box from a plugin perspective we append the widget to the product page to the product to the standard product template but we have customers that activate it on the home page we have a customers that activate it on a button click on the nav bar you know there are lots and lots of different workflows um, customer journeys that our customers set up to meet the needs that they've got for their particular you know consumer uh, or sorry customer experience yeah and so then you know a transaction is created we you know take the customer through the design process in the iframe and then once that design is complete like you say we we create a payload of data we, we append it to the order um, uh, as a, in, in the line items and then even the order process at that point has essentially uh, left spiff and now you're basically still you know you're you're within the e-commerce process or the e-commerce site of that merchant and you can continue to shop and buy other things or you can check out once the customer checks out via webhooks we securely place so the site securely places a, a transaction or an order for that transaction id on our system and then the delivery channels the fulfillment automation and delivery channels all get executed and at that point you know the, the the files or metadata get routed to wherever they need to get routed to we spoke about fulfilling to direct machines in the merchant site but we also through our api we also integrate into very large fulfillment you know um, you know, 3PLs, we work with companies like Fulfilio, um, with OzPost. So our system is designed to plug into any fulfillment process. We can present data in any way that they want. It's all configurable in our back end. And for every merchant, that happens to be slightly different. And if I remember rightly, one of the biggest challenges, and again, you know, this is going back a few years now, but one of the challenges that merchants face in that personalized products arena is being able to take their product catalog get it into the personalization software so that they can then, you know, manipulate that product within that UI, put the targets of personalization, the target regions of a product for personalization, adding a name to that football or whatever it might be, being able to have an overlay, a graphical user interface overlay over the top of that product where they can define the target areas for personalization, any additional costs associated with that personalization. Also be able to define the configurable components if it's a componentized product, almost like a bomb, like it's a almost like a bill of materials, right? You know, so that you can mix and match those different components, as you say, you know, the different materials, the different shapes, the styles, the colors, etc. Uh, that level of personalization going on, simply putting a name or a message on something. So there's a whole lot of, I guess, complexity that's typically bound up in 
each different product type and how it is to be personalized and how that sort of almost real-time personalization is to be presented on the front end. And so I'm guessing that your software deals with all of that and you do provide that UI. You maybe auto-sync products from a Shopify catalog, for example, into your system, and then they can go through those products one by one in your platform and set up all the personalization parameters and targets and, and rules. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. So what we call that is our workflow editor, and that resides in the Spiff Hub. So customers log into the Spiff Hub, and that's where they create all their personalization experiences. The first thing they would do is they go in and they create a product, sync it with the products that are you know that, that lives within their uh, e-commerce store. That sync, once that sync is in place, the widget will know to load the workflows or you know design experiences, as we like to call them, against that particular product, and then. And from there, you can actually create a workflow. So we've got a drag and drop editor that allows you to stipulate exactly the, you know, what colors, what panels there's we've got about 14 different step types that you can create so it's a step-based editor you know like that allows you to do things like ask a question where nothing actually appears on the you know as different on the actual um, workflow or a text step where actually they're adding text and seeing it change in real time on the actual you know 3d model in this case you know uploads you know there's upload steps there's material steps that allow us to simulate the material so if, for example, if you've got a, a motorcycle helmet that you're selling and you want to sell it with a gold foil, you would have an option with a gold foil fleck in it and then another one that's got like a starry sort of finish and then another one that's matte and another one that's got a gloss finish. We can, you know, these are all things that you can easily simulate. These are all variants within our system that you can create and manage and manipulate in the click of a few buttons type thing. So one, they've got the ability to actually structure the workflow in whatever they want. Um, two, they can amend it at any time, add and subtract things from it with um, no reliance on any developer. Like it's 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 a it's as simple as being able to use Shopify in the back end to manipulate products and um, you know within the standard e-commerce store. More importantly, the the ability to be able to do that you know um, really feeds well into our the analytics system that we've built, which allows us to actually measure interaction from the consumer with particular steps within that workflow so as a, as a consumer goes through the the design experiences if they abandon on a particular step if they you know we can say well how many times did they how many variants did they click before they abandoned you know what steps are they abandoning on are they um are they going to are they going forward and backwards a lot you know are they clicking too much we're out of the out of the ones that we see are uh, converting the most what are the similarities that we're seeing between the way that those customers behave is there an optimal way to drive to, to, to build this workflow or this design experience so that we can increase the number of um, conversions and you know the ability to be able to drag and drop and essentially a b test really simply gives us that unique ability to or gives us to gives the merchant the unique ability to be able to um, understand uh, more about how their customers are choosing to interact with that analytics piece feels like it must be so mission critical in terms of removing friction from that personalization experience to try to increase those conversion rates by removing friction throughout the process at the point where people are getting stuck and it almost obviates the need for you know session recording software or something like that where you would you would install that on your site typically and you do you know session reviews where people are abandoning it or dropping out and you have to actually look and watch how they're using the interface 
but it feels like you've got that sort of auto tagging at at certain point during the process so that you can figure out where people are dropping out of that process to identify those friction points without having to do session recording and review. So that feels like that's a very fundamental part of what your software brings to the table. Sure, it's great that it it does all this 3D, you know, real-time 3D display and all that stuff, but it feels like that part of it is actually extremely mission critical for businesses that are reliant on personalization to close the deal. Correct, yeah. So, you know, like there's essentially, you know, four components of our system. One, you know, and uh, is the actual you know, customization experience, which is the real-time 3D experience that the consumer, you know, is driven through. Two is the Spiff Hub, which allows the merchant to create and manage these experiences. Three is the fulfillment automation layer that allows you to configure the output and the automation of the actual fulfillment side of the of the order once it's placed. And um, and four is is the analytics layer, which yeah, as you say, I mean each one of them is very critical. But yeah, like from the perspective of being able to you know perfect a, a consumer experience, it is definitely critical. I'm guessing that for you guys, and and I know, you know, I'll, I'll get you to talk a little bit, I guess, about how you price because you are a SaaS platform that plugs in to existing e-com platforms and other front-end experiences. As you say, they don't necessarily have to be e-com. They could be, you know, it could be a free merch website, for example, for a brand, or it could be, it could be used in many different ways, right? It could be part of a broader experience that a brand is, is creating for their customers as part of a, you know, they buy a ticket and they get these benefits with it or something like that, right? So you're, they're attending an event and they get a free hat because they're attending the event. So here you go, personalize your hat. So there's there's probably many, many different applications other than pure e-commerce for your technology. But when I look at kind of the way you price, it looks like pricing, first of all, seems ultra reasonable for, for what you guys do. Because I know I know what this software costs to build custom because I've been involved with on the agency side when we were building this entire you know, the backend technology, which allowed them to create all that experience that we talked about for each product type and assign that to specific products in the catalog, but also the front end experience and everything in between. And then the handoff of, you know, completed PDFs of products and spec, spec sheets that could ha be handed off to the manufacturing and fulfillment side of things. So I know just how complex that is when you're building it from scratch, because back in the day, you got to remember 10, you know, 10, 12 years ago, this time, you know, your type of technology that was kind of almost plug and play it simply did not exist it was all custom everything that was everything that was built to do this was a hundred percent custom developed and so for me when i'm looking at your pricing page i'm going geez this is this feels almost ridiculously cheap but i guess where you guys kind of make your money is is a in volume and making this as accessible to as many brands as possible but also secondarily the 3d modeling side of it right because each tier only includes a certain um, amount of credit for 3D modeling credits, I don't I don't know what a credit necessarily equates to in terms of number of products or whatever, but walk us through kind of how you charge, how you make money, and how it seems so ridiculously cheap for what you guys provide. Yeah, look, I mean, this is no different to the model that I've always been comfortable with, with the way that we charge the way that I charge out services. I mean, back in my broking days, you know, we would charge people, you know, like a percentage of the, the trade that we did for them. And I 
typically wouldn't charge them for losses, but I but I would charge them more when we made profit, right? So I always liked feel like we weren't actually a cost and try to sell ourselves as a revenue partner rather than a cost center. And, and that was evident in our in our buying group that we created in Sergeant Group, which was based we you know our, our revenue was generated off the off the cost savings that we generated. So if we saved them a hundred thousand, we would take 10%, uh, but we wouldn't get anything unless we saved the money. Now, this business is not is, is not dissimilar. Like what we're drawing, what we're saying is, you know, if you're a platform, if you're a business that's turning over $100,000 a year and we're taking, you know, 1% of sales. So like to clarify, our platform charges a, a small subscription cost, which covers the basic services and then a transaction fee, which is based on the value, the, the value of the order that's created throughout, um, through our widget. And that's 1%. So you can imagine if you turned over $100,000 a year, we're looking at only generating like $1,000 out of that customer, you know, that merchant for, you know, for that year, you know, on top of the actual subscriptions. But where we back ourselves is that we're building software that is actually going to add so much value that that business now will turn over $400,000, $500,000 a year. And so, you know, based on that, the fees for us are, you know, four, five, six, seven grand a year. Now, you know, making, you know, like our goal is to try to, you know, make sure that every customer earns us, you know, a minimum $5,000 a year in, in transaction fees. But to do that, we have to provide a solution that increases revenue and we back ourselves to do that. And so that's where, that's why it may seem cheap, but you know, we have customers that started by doing very little revenue and are now doing very big revenue uh, because they're fully integrated with our system. I mean, fully, and they've seen 450, 500% increases in revenue. And we generate on some of these customers, we generate 50, $60,000 a year in fee, which becomes a lot of money. You know, the idea is we back ourselves to give our customers enough value add that ultimately they will benefit and so then we'll benefit from it as well but aside from that definitely we're, we're, we're building the software in a way that it makes it accessible to everybody and the other thing is that we do charge for the creation of content and integration sorry and onboarding so if a customer generally speaking customization is not one of those things that um, unfortunately that you can just plug and play there usually has to be a few things you know that changed within your you know like business model right like you have to now account for the fact that you're not taking an inventory item that is a finished product we're taking an inventory item that is now a raw material and you're adding a process to actually um, either construct or configure a product based on the data that we give you or print directly onto it so that's process involves a bit of consulting and but we and we do charge for that a nominal fee to be able to cover the costs of, of managing that onboarding process but outside of that no our fees are literally just you know whatever content you want created is something that you know we charge on an ad hoc basis like as just any standard creative agency would would do but outside of that you know we just charge our transaction fees and work very hard to try to increase revenue and and and, and make our money off success that's not a surprise to me in the sense that, you know, there is that, you know, as I said, I'm very, very um, empathetic for all of the extra challenges that can come with 
product personalization because there's so much to consider. And if you were to look across those four main modules of what you guys do, which part of it from your perspective took the most time, was the hardest to develop, took the most developer effort and thought and, and testing out different models? Um, I'm guessing that maybe it's the it's the visual real-time personalization on the front end because you got to deal with draping and shadowing and so many different, I guess, variables of that personalization component and presenting that in a photorealistic way on the front end. There's a lot to that, right? It's it's very involved. And I'm guessing that that combining that really user-friendly merchant UI where they can create the personalization experience, but still ensuring that near photorealism on the front end in near real time or, or in real time for the customer on the front end, I'm guessing that that was pretty hairy to develop. Oh, absolutely. And uh, like it's been millions of dollars and it feels like millions of years, but <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's been a very long, hard fought, you know, five years to, to, you know, and there's been a lot of problems that we've, that we've solved along the way, which is why we know where we're placed in the market. Like we know there's competitors out there. There's lots and lots of them, but there's probably only a handful of people that can do things that have kind of solved as many problems as we have. I, I don't know the, of any that have solved all of the problems we have. You know, each one of those in its own right is, you know, is a continued work in progress. You know, you know, to say that any of them are complete and finished would be wrong. They're all really, really good. And they're, they're all things that we've worked on very hard over time. Um, you know, like the you know, creation of the 3D model, being able to display it in the browser, developing a web-based experience. It's not on an app, right? Because we're going to plug into merchant websites. We can't develop an app like even canva you know the world's biggest you know design based platform web based experience they have a, a mobile app because it's so hard to develop a web based experience that involves customization um, in the browser that's been probably one of the biggest challenges but i feel like we're ticking those boxes well and it's it's one of those things that we can always do better in but you know like we're certainly doing well enough right now for customers to um, you know significant um, increases in revenue as a result of using our platform but i look you know if i was going to say like you know as hard as creating the web-based experience was um, for the reasons that you just described i would say that the bigger problems that we solved were the problems associated with the fulfillment automation to build a platform that was so highly i mean look you you know having experience you have it's it's challenging enough to build a fulfillment automation platform that does one type of thing to build a system that can essentially be configurable to anything is another you know increases difficulty by a factor of 10 and that's i think been one of our greatest challenges you know i've really had to draw on the experience that i've had past 10 15 years in print and and manufacturing to understand across lots of different types of machinery as well always and having always been in personalization understanding that whole digital component you know being able to print one-to-one -one, that's really been the big challenge you know having to deal with things like spot colors overlays form cuts bleeds customers want things in cmyk others want an rgb like there's so many some customers want svg some customers want pdf you know pdf some customers want jpegs some want you know the all of the files you know submitted to them in pieces and they want to be able to reconstruct them some want us to convert them into esoteric you know file types that go to um autocad programs and so on to do we, we have a customer that does funerals you know funeral stones like um headstones and so their their software has to etch out the colors it's not a matter of printing it's actually cutting it's router cutting 
the, the stones. And so they have to be submitted in a particular file format. So building a system, a fulfillment automation platform that can not only produce any output file, but then can route orders based on almost any business rule that a merchant can give us to anywhere and to plug into almost anything is, has been probably the greatest challenge and I think is probably our greatest asset right now. Makes absolute sense. And, and you know, obviously the API layer that you've had to build out facilitate, helps facilitate that. You've got a mini order management platform, like distributed order management platform, a DOM built right into your core technology. You know, you've kind of got all these different modules, which are part of the whole, which without any one of those core, say four or five modules, you wouldn't have an end-to-end -end solution and you'd have to rely on a separate third-party solution for that piece. And so I guess that must have been one of the motivators for building out your product the way that you did. It was like, hey, we don't want a merchant to have to tap into two or three vendors and then have to system integrate all these components together. We want to be almost within reason a one-stop shop for the entire thing. Correct. And we're not done yet. Like there are a couple of components left that we feel would be game changers for the industry that nobody has, you know, at this stage, you know, thought of what well, that I know of anyway. I feel like in order to be really truly end to end, we have to be able to contribute to cost saving and efficiencies, you know, around, you know, the product being not just created, but put into the physical hands of the consumer. That's a part of, um, sorry, our, our development timeline that we've got for next year. You're right, like our, our goal is to be totally vertically integrated. I think we'll always have a reliance uh, on e-commerce platforms. We're not trying to become an e-commerce platform. The idea is that from the moment that a consumer engages in it with a product to the moment that they receive it in their hands, we wanna be able to be involved, we wanna be as, as involved as we can with, with the mindset that we're trying to eliminate every little bit of waste from those two points and it makes you know makes the product more sustainable ultimately in the end anyway from a manufacturing perspective obviously if you can minimize waste and loss and misprinted and all those things you know, you're bringing that concept of sustainability to every part of the value chain that you that you fill and for you guys what is you know what are some of the things that you can talk about you know it sounds like there's some secret squirrel stuff going on that you can't share but what is kind of on your roadmap that's either publicly available knowledge or your quite happy to share hey look we'd love in 12 to 24 months time we'd love our platform to be able to do x y and z that it doesn't do today and also what markets do you target like geographic markets do you have even a geographic do you target anz or do you target international or do you have no geographic target because you put you you integrate primarily with e-commerce platforms and those are global platforms in most cases so you know do you have a geographic target or are there are there specific markets you'd like go in and attack over the next 12 to 24 months where you guys maybe don't have a stronghold yet you want to really carve out a niche for yourself in that market yeah absolutely i mean look we're definitely making re really good inroads in australia for obvious reasons but you know we've had a huge amount of interest out of the us and in europe in particular western and central europe and um so yeah absolutely i mean if it wasn't for covid i would imagine that we would have offices like we would have gone and set up offices in each one of those um, regions already and definitely in our roadmap for the next 
plus 12 months is to at the very least open up an office in Europe and depending on time, you know, in the US as well. Given that we are a, a cloud-based infrastructure, we have a very global customer base right now, but I would say that probably 40% of our customers are in Australia, 40, 40, 45, um, the, but the rest are spread out all across the world with the majority being in either US or Europe. Um, but we've got, you know, like we've got some in South America, some in Asia, some in, you know, South Africa, all across the world. I think we operate now in, uh, I think, 16 or 32 countries or something like that. You know, that's definitely part of our growth plan as far as things that we want to be able to do. Uh, you know, as a platform, we started our life as an augmented reality-based customizer. Sorry, we, we, we started our life wanting to develop augmented reality experiences into the product customization. That component of our system is built and is operational, but it doesn't, we don't sell it because, you know, the like with all the testing we did, we, we were part of the world's largest, you know, augmented reality um, personalized based campaign, which was a campaign we did with KitKat and Alan's Lollies, where over, over 200,000 people got to see their own personalized animated experience that they played off the back of their personalized tin of, of uh, Alan's Lollies or, or KitKat box. Overwhelming results around the research that we did around AR was that customers whilst everybody likes it it's just not commercial enough for customers to use in, in a day-to-day setting that's probably the biggest thing that i'm waiting for in 24 months i'm hoping that you know the wearables market i feel like that's what's needed to make ar commercial and uh, you know we're seeing it now with facebook you know releasing some glasses google's i think on their second or third generation of their uh, google glasses once we get to a point where AR is a, is, a, is a part of our daily lives, I feel like that's going to be the real game changer for us because, you know, being able to, you know, view a product in situ, customise it with, you know, in the room that I'm in, you know, be able to actually look in a mirror with my glasses and see the clothes that I'm trying on, you know, sorry, click on the, on the workflow UI in, you know, thin air and start changing things as if I'm changing in a, in a real setting, like in a, you know, in a real in-store experience. That's probably the thing that excites us the most. You know, our mantra has always been simulating the in-store experience, right? So we always knew that people are always three times more likely to purchase something that they can touch, feel and smell there and then, like, which is why the in-store experience is so, the ability to be able to, you know, have a person you know, tell you that you look good in something or, you know, or you, you'd be able to try something on, see how it looks on you, even, you know, hold like a, you know, a, a motorcycle helmet that you're trying to customize or see a greeting card in your hand. Being able to do that is the ultimate goal. And uh, I'm excited to see when that wearables market will become commercial. Couldn't agree more. Certainly the holodeck type of experience is coming. You know, I don't know whether it's going to be two years or 20, but uh, certainly that's, a, you know, when we when we look at the, the Facebook glasses, you know, in, in conjunction with Ray-Ban that have been released, you know, they were very careful to not call them AR glasses. They called them smart glasses. And so they don't, you know, they don't have some of the haptic feedback and some of the other things that we'd expect from full AR glasses. So I agree with you. I, you know, every single major tech company from Apple to Google to Amazon to to Facebook to to Alibaba to everybody is working on AR glasses. That is, you know, they they have thousands and thousands and thousands of people working on that. And I feel like that is the 
the next massive step before full full VR experiences or full XR experiences. And I think I think AR is the next evolution of the cell phone model. And I think that that's going to be the next real breakthrough device that is going to completely alter the way in which we interface with the world and each other. And and I can totally, totally see the application of that technology with yours. That That is just an absolute no-brainer fit for that, you know, where I could, you know, in front of my glasses, I can swipe one item away and bring another item in. And, and, and in real time, it changes and updates what I'm seeing. Like it just would make that experience of personalizing products just so much more seamless than having to interact with a 2d screen where you've got a mouse that you've got to click on things right correct yeah that's right and you know we've always had that in mind with the way that we've been configuring our infrastructure so you know when the time comes it's it's going to be a very easy transition to make because i mean having products in 3D that you're displaying in the web, well, really, there's no difference. There's just a few scaling things that, I mean, most of which, most of the problems that we have to solve have already been solved by, you know, Apple with their, um, and and with Android with their AR kit and AR core. So really, it's just about connecting the dots and, you know, amending the workflow UI to, um, you know, from a look and feel perspective and but essentially the infrastructure is is there we've built our system with that in mind because it's very tough like i think one of the toughest things about what we do is designing the ability you know designing all these interactions with the mindset that you know customers want to be able to do this on a mobile phone and a mobile phone is a very very small amount of real estate to be able to you know to deliver a rich experience to the consumer once you introduce you know the ability to be able to uh, do that in an open room well then space is not an issue anymore you know i can move things around and place them in, in 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 and resize them into areas of the room that i want and you know configure my setting to suit so all of a sudden that particular barrier to trade goes completely away that's probably the thing that um i'm i'm most excited about I can understand why, fully on board with that. Now, listen, thank you so much for your time with us today. I really appreciate it. You have really given us some deep insight into what it takes to get to a fully market-ready 3D personalization tech platform. And I think your story echoes a lot of the, the discussions that I've had with other SaaS platform vendors, You know that entrepreneurial journey of scratching an itch, but ultimately getting to a place where you've developed a product that you're proud of, that you're ready to go to market with, and that is ready to scale and is really making something that was really very niche even five to ten years ago like hyper niche and broadening that and democratizing access to that technology to the wider world and most merchants can actually now onboard that into their business i think that is you know it takes a real skill it takes a real talent it takes a real ability to sort of foresee the future and skate to where the puck is going not to where the puck is today and i really applaud you know i applaud the effort because i'm sure that there was a lot of blood sweat and tears that went into this so congratulations on on all of your success so far wish you a success in the future and if if people want to get a hold of you if they want to find you if they want to chat to you are, are they best to just go to the spiff three so it's spiff3d.com are they, are they best to go to that website or would you prefer that people reach out to you directly or how, how do you want people to get a hold of you? Oh, look, you know, the Spiff website, the Spiff website has got, you know, we've got our live chat on there. We've got our um, support channels all on there. And I'm, you know, always happy to, you know, chat to any, uh, any merchants that want to speak directly. So, you know, just by mentioning, just by saying that you want to speak to me, you'll be able through those through those channels, you'll be able to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for your time. And I'll be watching very, very excitedly over the next 12 to 24 months 
worth of development with Spiff 3D. Hope to chat to you again soon, mate. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the At The Coalface podcast. If you want more At The Coalface, you can subscribe to our premium e-commerce and digital newsletter, At The Coalface Digest.